You're listening to an app session from the 2019 Art Conference in Anaheim, California. For more resources to equip you and your local church, visit arcchurches.com. We are going to go ahead and get started. We will stick around and answer as many questions as we possibly can at the end of our time together as well. My name is Mark Cleary. I serve here on the Arc staff, uh, helping oversee church planning. Also, if you've enjoyed the conference, I hope you'll see the conference. If you do not enjoy the conference, Josh Rover is in charge of the conference, and you can complain to him. Um, so, uh, hopefully you have had a good time. We absolutely love coming out here and hanging out in California for a few days. How many of you this is the first art conference you've been to out here? Awesome. Okay, and you're coming back next year and bringing friends? Yeah, come on. Yes, awesome. Fantastic. Well, we want to talk about launching large and staying strong today, um, and we'll get to that here in just a few minutes. But in order to kind of set the stage a little bit, uh, I want to kind of describe our church model that we have at ARC. Uh, we are an unapologetically launch large type model, and we do that so you can stay strong and uh, get strong and stay strong uh, even quicker as pastors and as a church trying to transform your community for Christ. Uh, our average launch size is right around 300 or so uh, per, per launch, and that just helps create sustainability in so many areas, whether it be your finances uh, as a church, your leadership team as a church, your impact in the community, and all those different areas of church life as well. When you launch uh, large, it helps kind of fast-track all of those things. Um, in your ministry journey as well. So we're going to talk about that a little bit today, and then we'll answer questions about the, uh, the, any process that you may uh, have if you're interested in, in launching a church through us. we got a lot of our team here. I mentioned Josh Robery. He helps run church planning on a day-to-day basis. Josh is right there waving. There's Pam Stanley right here. If you uh, get down into our process and, and receive the investment, the financial investment that we make in each one of our church plans, Miss Pam will be your best friend. She brought a check. Yes. It's a blank check to give to somebody. Amen. Yes. Whoever pays the most attention. The more attention you pay, the more zeros that we add. I'm not going to tell you on which side of the decimal we'll add those zeros, but we will add those. That's right. And Isaiah Duncan, right here in the back, is on our launch team as well. He is single, so you have a daughter. Come on. Someone on your potential launch team that is single. He's a good man, but he's not leaving Birmingham anytime soon. Like that. So we're going to have a great time. I've got some friends with me here uh, that I'm going to introduce, and they're really the stars uh, of the show. Uh, you know, us as a staff, we've, we've learned a thing or two in almost 20 years of helping launch churches. Uh, but our heroes and the reason why we exist are our church planners and our church partners. Uh, you probably uh, know a lot of them, met some of them along the way, and we're really thrilled to have three of our uh, just studs here uh, today. Um, and um, we're going to have a great time talking about launching large and staying strong. i got Joel Colley Come on. here from Relevant Church in Paducah, Kentucky. Represent. Do you know what art church plants you are by chance? 310. 310, baby. 2013, That's, six 2013. and a half years old. That's it. Staying strong. You That's and right. Mandy still love each other? Uh, uh, most days. Most yeah. days. <laughs> I love her. Fantastic. I can't speak for her, but I, I will say that I do her. That's right. You're going to hear a little <laughs> bit more of uh, Charlie's story. But, uh, thrilled to have Charlie. Uh, here with us as well, and, and Nicole uh, as well, Metro Church in the D.C. area. Mm. You know, they are church plant 47. Come uh, so on. Back in the day, a little over 12 years old. Mm. And uh, so just uh, thrilled uh, that Charlie is, is with us, and you're going to hear a little bit about his story. Really excited about that um, as well. And then Taka is here from Voice Church. Mm. Uh, just a baby, just a little young pup. When you're, you know, you know your church Come on. What's that? Do you know your number? 800-something? 800-something. 790, baby. Oh, okay. 790. 700. Come on. Just celebrated one year. One year. Just celebrated one year. Got it all figured uh, out. Natalie, his wife, is here with him. She's she's awesome, and and I just discovered something about Natalie. She likes chocolate chip cookies. Uh, Yeah. And you don't like to give her chocolate chip cookies sometimes. I'm not aware of what's going on around me. That's my problem. Yeah. So uh, so we're thrilled to have Taka with us as well. Voice Church here in Orange County. And we're going to have a good time. So, uh, Taka, I'm going to start with you, man. If you can, we're going to dive right in. If you can kind of describe the, the area around here that you launched in, kind of give us the demographics, culture, spiritual climate. And then I want you to answer the question, uh, what does launch strong mean to you? As you journey through the art process and yeah. now you're being a one-year-old one church, yeah. um, as a leader, as a pastor, in your family, what all does launch strong mean to you? Yeah. 
Is this working or no? It is working, but that's, that's recording. So you okay. All right. So uh, how's it going, guys? Good. Yeah. Doing good? All right, I'm going to try to honor my time. I'm going to honor my time. I'm not going to try. I'm going to honor my time. Famous <laughs> last words. We're all passionate in the room. All right. Uh, so we launched about a year ago. We just celebrated one year last week. All right. So, uh, yeah. So for us, uh, you asked kind of demographics and that kind of thing. So we launched and we're in Tustin, California. And so depending on where you're from, we're originally from the Midwest, and if you go like three or four towns over, every town is pretty much the same, right? More cornfields, whatever, right? So it's like, what's your town like? Like this town. In Orange County specifically, how many guys from Orange County? Anybody? Okay, so you know, you know, literally only you know, you go from one town to the next town, it's a different planet, right? So let me give you a kind of snapshot of where we're planted. We're in a town called Tustin, Tustin, California, right where the 55 meets the 5 if you're driving around here near Disney. Uh, we live in Irvine, and then I do a lot of my life in Santa Ana on the other side of Tustin. So if this is Tustin, you got Irvine and Santa Ana. Irvine is about 65% Asian, multi-Asian, which is a big deal uh, if you know anything about Asian culture. Like Santa Ana on the other side of Tustin is about 90% Hispanic, right? Primarily Mexican, uh, Hispanic here. The Asian side is literally everything from... Indian, Taiwanese, Vietnamese, Thai, Chinese, Japanese, Korean. And the thing is, is a lot, a lot of these countries, they speak different languages. They don't like each other. Uh, we, they've warred with each other, right? So a lot of uh, like genocide and all sorts of crazy war crimes and all kind of stuff. So someone that is not Asian may look at that and go, oh, you're all Asian. But the fact that you have a Taiwanese, Vietnamese, Laotian worshiping near each other, uh, is a huge deal, which makes a big deal to me because I'm half Korean, half Japanese. And if you guys know anything about the Korean War, that's like a, a, like a German marrying a Jew. Like it's pretty, pretty kind of crazy. So we're in the middle. We're in Tustin. Tustin is in the middle of all this. About one third Asian, one third Hispanic, one third white. So what you have in Tustin, it's young. Uh, millennials, the largest generation. So it's young. It's diverse. And you have a lot of what we call swirl babies, hapas. You got like mixed families. So you got the Hispanic person that grew up in the uh, Pentecostal church. You have the Chinese person went to the Chinese Baptist church, and they got married, and they can't go to either one of those anymore, right? So they need a third place, a safe third place. So that's kind of where we're at. So, uh, yeah, so demographics-wise, OC in general is about 12% go to church on a regular basis. Tustin's about 8%, all right? So, and I think if you were to split that from Gen X down, you'd see that way lower, because a lot of the older folks go to church, the younger folks do not. The reason why I tell you all that, it's a kind of a hostile place to plant a church. So talking to our friends at some struggling churches in the area, like Saddleback and Mariners, real small churches. Uh, yeah. A lot of my friends there, they're like, hey, we won't plant a campus in Tustin because that's a church planter's graveyard. So they'll plant more central OC, south OC. And what we feel called to do, and I feel like even the way our genetic makeup is, my wife is white, um, Polish, obviously. So we, even like our kids are like a mix of who we're trying to reach. So by God's grace, we launched it with 434 people. Wow. Uh, and that's, that's a pretty conservative count. There are people telling us, oh, it's closer to 600. Uh, I think Josh, are you, were you there? Josh was there. Josh was there. Yeah. They're like, I think it was a lot more people than that. So we kind of, we count very conservatively, uh, not evangelistically. Uh, so 434 um, and the vast majority of the folks that go to our church, at least at the beginning, are folks that didn't go to church before, uh, 10, 15, 20 years. The reason why they don't go to church anymore is because they used to go to church, right? The reason why they aren't a Christian is because they, they, they met one, right? So that's kind of our climate, a lot of baggage, uh, so a very, but very de-churched, I guess you could say. And our church launched in a way where uh, just honestly, one at a time, people from my gym, I obviously don't work out enough, so I mean... Right, but I do work out from you know once a month or so. But one one at a time, people from my gym started becoming believers, getting baptized, asking you know can I can you walk me in my car? I have questions, you know that kind of thing. And so we're like, hey, we should probably just plant in the area. It seems like we can uh, do this. So uh, for us, the reason why that's important is because uh, depending on where you're at, for us launching in this area, it was difficult because. A few reasons. One, new people don't tithe. I think that's universal for all of us. With one exception, if they're Korean, uh, there's a good chance that they'll give, actually. That's a whole other side thing. If you guys are in a high Korean population area, they're going to give from the very first day. Uh, it's, religion's a very powerful thing in their life. Okay, so uh, everything is expensive around here. Uh, so you're talking a, we're looking at a property there today, 4,000 square feet, between twelve and $13,000 a month. 
Okay, so uh, one of the churches I oversee in Kansas City, they just bought a old Best Buy for $1.7 million. And, I mean, land upon land, they can hunt deer in their back, all this acreage. And they asked us, what could you get for 1.7 mil, where we're at? I was like, buy a pretty decent house in my neighborhood for 1.7 And that's <laughs> true. So there's high suspicion around faith and church around here. Uh, churches tend to be highly cult- like cultural centers, so you understand the ethnic context. The immigrants come over, like my parents came over, and church is, yes, about Jesus, but also I think equally as important, uh, if we're honest, is it's a cultural center. How do we make sure our kids and our grandkids don't lose our heritage, right? So you have your Chinese Baptist, your Korean Presbyterian, your Hispanic Pentecostal, or whatever your, your flavor is, right? And so you have all that. So churches around here tend to be, uh, they're, if they're multi-generational, meaning grandparents, parents, kids, they tend to be one, uh, one generation. Or, sorry, sorry, let me say it again. If they're multi-generational, they're one ethnicity, Mm-hmm. Right, multi-ethnic, one generation. Some of you guys are one ethnic. So you guys have seen that. If they're multi-ethnic, they tend to be one generation. Right, so you'll have your hipster twenty-something church. They all look super unique because they all shop at the same store. Right, they're all wearing the same hat and same shoes. That's, but they're multi-ethnic. But it's all twenty-somethings. Not many people, not many kids. That kind of thing. There's few churches that can bridge both. And we knew if we ever had a chance, what God has called us to, I'm not saying if you have a Chinese Baptist church is wrong, but for us, if we want to reach the city of Tustin, we had to be multi-ethnic and multi-generational. Uh, so that's a big deal. So how do you do that? Um, for us, launching strong uh, means being sustainable as soon as possible. Um, for us, that means because there's a high suspicion around finances, we wanted to go into our launch with $100,000 in the bank. Now, that may, you're like, that's crazy. Well, what that does for us is if we can embrace that pain on the front end and whatever our launch cost was, just add $100,000. Because it's all, it's, it's all just numbers at that point anyways. It, it might as well be a trillion dollars. What's a trillion point one? You know what I mean? So $100,000 actually, what that does for us is it enables us to not take a hard ask for offering 16 minutes into service. So you have these people suspicious of church. They come and... They probably got their legs. They're checking their kids in. Within a few minutes of them getting a service, you're getting a hard ask for you get a sermonette on giving. And we just don't do that. We are very low-key on giving at the end after we've built some trust to talk about money a little bit. By God's grace, uh, we've been okay financially, but that was a big thing for us, having 100 grand going in. Uh, and we've had fluctuations. We just dip into that savings account. Uh, second thing is a leadership page that's ethnically diverse and generationally diverse. Uh, that's really important to us. So actually, we had to make some shifts. So even our pre-launch website, like six, nine months out, we still had a leadership page for a couple reasons, or three reasons, probably one. One, for them to see us. So them to see like, oh, you kind of look like me. You're like a mixed family, right? Uh, two, that they can see that we have a diverse uh, team, right? And three, for them to see our accountability structure. So there's kind of in this, especially in OC, this, you know, this trepidation about money, but also kind of this uh, materialism attached to his ministry sometimes. And so they're like, are you going to be one of those kind of churches? And so that showed our accountability structure, uh, especially financially. So there were actually some things we had to do where we uh, put people into leadership. So we would look at the leadership page. I remember this vividly. And we're going, it feels too Asian. Like literally. We need to find people in the church that are older that are different ethnicities, so it feels important. It's really important to us that when someone goes to the website that they go, my people are here. My people are represented. So, and then create a, uh, a place of safety and uh, vulnerability. All right, so for us then, um, how we did that practically, just to give you real practical stuff, is we have to have diversity at every level. Here's what I hear over and over again, is, well, we're just not very diverse. Well, first of all, you should reflect your city. So if you are like, Hispanic, then don't try to like reach out to the three Asian people in your city. You know what I'm saying? You should reflect your city. But if your city is 90% Hispanic and you're like 90% Caucasian, that's something you should look at. And here's what I hear over and over again is, well, we just don't have anybody that goes to the church. So we can't have anybody that's an elder that, or a trustee or a board member or a small group leader that looks like that. Okay, here's the thing. You can either have the veneer of diversity or you can prioritize it. Here's what I mean by that is you would never go on a Sunday morning and go, we just don't have a drummer. We just don't have a worship leader. 
you'll figure it out. Because that's a spot you need filled. And for us, it was a high priority. And I would say wherever you're at, it's a high priority uh, to have people not only as a greeter, that's uh, ethnically diverse, uh, but an elder. People creating culture, not just representing the culture. Right? And then you need to ask those people in your life, okay, here's the stuff going on around the country. Here's the stuff going on with Sanctuary City or policies. Help me understand what that's like from your perspective. Right? Uh, so for us, launch, or, launching strong is being sustainable. It's living our values when it's convenient and especially when it's not convenient. Right? And then also that our big launching strong for us means that the community sees us as partners. So one of the biggest joys, and I'll end with this, biggest joys of our, we just had a one-year celebration, Church in the Park. I wouldn't recommend it because it's super expensive and more, way more complicated than it needs to be. But we had uh, a bunch of people come out for Church in the Park, and we had our uh, Chamber of Commerce president, mayor, and then the city council come out and talk about, during service, our friendship. Not our partnership, but our friendship. And to hear them talk about the blessing we are to the city uh, was it, it wasn't their like their ceremonial pitch at the ribbon cutting thing for the barber shop. It was a friendship, right. and that was that's super in, important that's awesome. to us. So, very cool, great, thank you. And uh, I mentioned too, we're going to try to do Q and A at the end. So if you have questions, you know, jot it down maybe on your phone or a piece of paper or whatever, uh, or just remember uh, either way. So, Joel, I got a question for you. You know, uh, Taka just kind of described this area and the area that he's in. Uh, you're in a slightly different area, yes. Paducah, I'd Kentucky. I'd say so. I'd say so. Um, and uh, but you know, you use the uh, Arc model, the yes. Launch Large model, mm-hmm. in there in a uh, smaller kind of uh, city. Can you um, describe your demographics, culture, kind of spiritual climate, sure. and then describe how that Arc model has worked for you sure. uh, in your context and what you guys are doing to stay strong sure. uh, years down the road, six sure. and a half years later? Sure. Awesome. Like you said, my name is Joel Colley and my wife Mandy. Uh, we we planted Relevant Church. Uh, in February of 2013 in Paducah, Kentucky. Uh, we are the, uh, the National Quilt, uh, Quilting Association, the Quilter Museum, the quilt capital of the, any quilters. Never any quilters in the crowd. It's crazy. <laughs> it's legit. There's million-dollar quilts with on guards in the museum right now. It's, it's, it's the craziest thing you've ever seen in your life. Um, and so we're originally from uh, the Mississippi, Alabama Gulf Coast, and uh, the only thing I knew about Kentucky was the, the fried chicken, and Stephen Curtis Chapman was from there, if you're familiar with 90s Christian music. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, God called us to that city, um, and it was small. Uh, there's about 32,000 in the city itself, uh, a little over 60,000 in the county. But what we realized is that when we got there in 2012 is that 52,000 people claimed to not go to church anywhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, about 68% white, and the rest of it is a mixture of just a little bit of everything. And, uh, and very, very, just very religious. Uh, you were either Catholic or you went to a very religious uh, denominational church. Um, that you went for social reasons, or that's just because that's just what you did. Because we're, you know, you're you're still in the South, you're still in the Bible Belt, and that's what you did on Sundays. And uh, or there's what we call the crazy Maddox that that did their thing. And so uh, so that was kind of the the, the church demographic. And so when we got there, uh, man, we just knew uh, we knew what kind of church we wanted to plant. We just didn't know how to do it. And literally one of my, uh, I grew up AG, and one of my AG friends said, you should check out ARC. And I said, what's an ARC? And I literally said, what is it, like startedchurch.com or something? And it was literally startedchurch.com. <laughs> and I'm still a little bitter because they give you church planners more money now than they did in 2012. A little bit uh, bitter about that. And so we literally went on, we paid the fee, we watched the videos, we seen Pastor Billy Hornsby and Chris Hodges and all them. And, um, and we actually, we moved to our city, uh, we started our launch team, and uh, we actually didn't get to go to assessment until, um, uh, until a couple months later, which I do not recommend. Go to the assessment first. And, and so when we went, man, we, we were just so overwhelmed by, number one, how much they believed in us uh, and, how much, uh, and how much support and resources. Because we grew up very competitive church. 
and um, and 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 it was not like that at all. Like we uh, we really felt like all of them wanted us to be better than what they were doing, and so we just kept hearing these words: "We want you to go further, faster." And so we, we've already been there, we've done that, uh, and so they give us all of the resources, everything that we needed. We drank the Kool Aid, uh, and we just did everything that they told us. I see. I see Tim here, man, and, and from, and, and and so like even from from our from our flyer to uh, uh, to, to to mail out and all of those things. I mean, we we just did everything that they told us, and um, uh, and we prayed. We found a building. Fortunately, we've never been portable, uh, but having our own building still comes with its challenges. We spent about sixty thousand just renovating the building. And uh, when we got there, we knew two couples uh, just from some previous relationships. And so in nine months, uh, we had a launch team of about 64 people. That include the kids, the dog. I think the dog had babies. Uh, everybody. We raised $110,000 uh, and we launched Relevant Church. Uh, we did a, 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 depending on our different graphic, they told us what uh, piece mailer that we did. So we did our mailer. And, uh, and uh, 282 people showed up and 16 people give their heart to Jesus. And it was absolutely phenomenal. It started pouring down rain and 30 minutes before church started. I was like, nobody is showing up. And then all of a sudden people just started coming in. And, uh, and then after service, I was like, we got to do this again in six days. Because <laughs> Sunday comes every week in Kentucky. <laughs> And uh, so we just, we just, our, our biggest thing was we, we made a big splash in a small pond. Uh, but one of the things was, is that, yes, we do have a lot of unchurched people. But like Taka said, we have a ton of overchurched and dechurched people. And there are so many people, there are several people in our launch team that have been a part of a church in five, eight, ten years just because they didn't have, it was just so religious and they were just tired of, of just going and nothing really happening. And so one of the biggest things for us is that excellence was put forward on everything. Like we did everything with a spirit of excellence. And that, that was the art model through and through. And, uh, and then we give people next steps. And so that was the biggest thing that we wanted to portray that, you know, hey, I'm at church, so what do we do now? And like they said in some of the sessions that 87% of the people don't know why they're here on this planet. I, I think all 87% of them were in Paducah, Kentucky. <laughs> and, uh, and I'll, I'll never forget one of our, uh, one, one of our, one of my favorite members, cause we, all the pastors have some of their favorite members, you know what I'm saying? Uh, they, they went to a church, they transitioned to our church from being a part of a, a very large denominational church in our city for 12 years. And I said, what made you come over? What made you stick? And he said, because you were the first pastor I ever, ever came to a church and you didn't ask anything from me. You said you wanted something for me, and and that made us wanted to get in anything. And and they do they serve on multiple levels. All their kids serve. And he said because we get to do this now, we don't have to do it. And we see now that this is fulfillment in our lives, and that we're a part of something way bigger than anything that we could ever go through. And um, and with it being a small town, um, uh, everybody knows everything. And uh, we were the new church in town, and so the, 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 the thing was, so let's just see what happens. Let's see how this lasts. And a lot of our, because we'll be seven years in February, we, we have had several people that, yeah, I came to your church a couple times in the first year, but we, want, we wanted to see where it went. And, they're, and then when, like, we came back, and it's grown, and we're just like, wow, this is crazy. And like, so how are you doing it? Like, what is the difference? What is the difference? What is the difference? And uh, I've, I've had people ask me that all the time. I said, number one, it's, it is the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and it, it is the systems on how we, uh, because they work at Church of the Highlands that has more people in small groups than I do in my city. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> more people are in small groups in Highlands than are live in my city. Um, uh, and, but the same system works. It it has been proven time and time and time and time again. And so we just, now I'm not saying like, there are a couple things that we change just based on our demographic and our people, but man, all the nuts and bolts are the same. And we just, we, we, we took everything and we just put our flavor on it. And, and with it being a small town, uh, I just decided to go to where the people were. 
And, uh, and so we got involved with the Chamber of Commerce. We got involved with the Rotary Clubs. We got involved in our school systems, with it being the Bible Belt. Uh, we have several teachers and, and, and principals and superintendent boards and all that come to our church. And they're believers, and they're like, man, we're looking for people to come in and help do some of these things. And, and I'll never forget the first time I went, I set up an appointment with the mayor, and I told him who I was and where I was from. It took me four and a half months to get, just to get a meeting with her because I was a pastor. Mm-hmm. And very reluctantly, she sat down with me. She said, okay, you're a pastor at your church. What do you want? And I said, Mayor Kaler, I don't want anything from you. What can we do for you? And she went, you're kidding me, right? And I said, what can we do for you? And, and that was right before we were going to do our first serve day that, you know, that we do all over the U.S. And I said, this is what we're doing. We had this many projects, but I want to know what can we do to really impact the city? And sarcastically, she said, yeah, I got an area you can clean up. Well, it was one of the worst areas. It was two blocks of just trash, and it was, it was just so filthy. I was like, you got it. And so I went back and told our team, I said, man, we're fixing to make this thing look beautiful. And that's exactly what we did. That was our last group project. There was about 200 people down there. We picked up four trailer loads of trash. And, um, and we showed pictures. We did all these things. And she actually came to our church and she said, I never would have dreamed you guys would have did something like this for free. That's amazing. <laughs> and, she, and, and they still asked, what do you I was like, listen, we just, we just want to show the love of Jesus. And, uh, and so we worked the model. And, um, and we just allowed it to do what, what it can do when you work it. And uh, so we just got the right tools and the right resources, and we give people those easy next steps on how the art model worked. And, um, um, and what was beautiful about us is that when we launched large, it gave us a lot of momentum, and people was like, man, this is, this is like for real. <laughs> uh, you know, we're really going to do something in our city because they couldn't believe it because there are so many other. And, and like I said, I'm not bashing other churches. We're, we stand on shoulders. We don't step on toes. And uh, we, we have some amazing pastoral friends. And the beautiful thing about our church is that in a small town, it's actually lit a fire in some of these other ones that says, hey, man, you know, you've, you've rebirthed some dreams in us. Because I told them, I said, listen, there's no way that our church can reach 55,000 people. Like we have to do this together. And so, man, we gained some great partnerships and, uh, and just continue to work the system. And like Pastor Chris even talked on the first night, those four steps, know God, find for him, discover purpose, and make a difference. And we just try to make that as easy as possible for people to know what to do next. And so even almost seven years into this, when I'm sitting down with people, uh, I use those four steps as a filter. And I said, well, number one, tell me about your, tell me about your spiritual journey. Where are you? And they're going to say, well, either I know Jesus or I don't, or they're going to walk that through. And then all of a sudden, okay, well, they know God, so let's go to the next one. So tell me about, you know, and we just walk through the steps, walk through the steps. And that's been the biggest, biggest attribute uh, to the success of our church is giving people those clear next steps and and vision for their life. And one thing God birthed in me, um, when we first moved to Paducah, we lived about 18 miles in the country. Um, uh, from the city because we had a house for free. Come on, somebody. And uh, we were surrounded by cornfields. And um, and so I, I had a little walking track that I would pray. I'm like, God, are you sure you want me here? Are you sure you want me here? Are you sure you didn't call me to the beach? Are you sure you didn't call me to the beach? And, uh, and, uh, and God said, I sent you here to build strong families. Strong families. And so everything that we have done, we've made it practical so that people can apply it to their homes. It, we're, we're great at giving vision at church. Without vision, people perish. But man, if they don't have vision for their homes. And so we allow them to walk through those four steps in their homes. If the, if the, if, because I tell them, listen, we are no more spiritual here than you are at home. Now, I know this atmosphere is easy to get together and worship in, but we want you worshiping at home. So how well do you know God inside the four walls of your house? Are you finding freedom? Do you, are, do you have purpose in your home? Are you making a difference in every single area in your home? And so, man, we have really used that uh, as a catalyst to help people create healthy environments in the church by being healthy in the home. And so, like, just don't just don't. I want you to follow our vision of relevant churches to empower people to reach their full potential in Christ. And we do that through four easy steps. But I want you to get vision for your home. 
I don't want you to, because without it, you're going to stumble all over yourselves, as the message version says. And so we've used the ARC model. We've broken it down into a couple of different easy ways to, so that people have clear, defined next steps. And we've seen success. And uh, this year, we've broken over 1,800 people give their heart to Jesus. And I would never do it without ARC, 100%. Never, ever, ever, ever do it without Ark. And with all everything that Ark has given us, man, the relationships. And, and you hear that, and, and we try to run it in the ground because if you don't have it, you will run in the ground. Yeah. And, uh, man, we've met our best friends on the planet. And, uh, and that, was, that was so cool what one of the 707 said about how much they believed in us because my wife and I, we had came through some very dark times in ministry and uh, and we just and, and it was their belief in us that proved that we could do this. And uh, it's just they're just a phone call away. And uh, and every time we call them, they answer or they text back and all of these things. And so I uh, I highly 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 recommend. I never want to do this again. But if I did, I would go back to work. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Well, uh, Charlie, you and Nicole. I have a little, a little different story than, than Taka and, and Joel here. Uh, you all did not plant the church right. 12 years ago. You transitioned into the leadership. It was mm-hmm. an art church plant, though. Um, mm-hmm. So I'd love for you to kind of share the same kind of thing, kind of tell about the area that you're in, sure. um, and then kind of describe um, how the art model has helped you in that transition yeah. and the transitions mm-hmm. that you've uh, continued to have to go through, you know, uh, with, uh, with Metro Church. For sure. Awesome. I, uh, and I so much to say, but we're in the D.C. area. And so where we live and where we do ministry um, is everyone sees it. Um, it's kind of funny when you drive down the road and you see in the background of uh, all the newscasts, it's what you're passing on the street. So it's been it's still wild. Like we turn and we go grab lunch and it's like, oh, the Washington Monument. Oh, there's Lincoln Memorial. And so we are uh, in a place that absolutely is uh, impacting not just our country, but it's impacting the world. And so uh, the demographic of that area is incredibly um, diverse. Um, it is multicultural. It is multigenerational. It is people from all walks of life, all places, um, all flavors. And they are coming into that region because they desire to make an impact and they desire to make a difference with their life. Now, religion and spirituality may not be a part of that matrix, um, but there is something in them where they're desiring to go there and to be a part of something. Uh, Many are there uh, not by choice. They're there because they're told to by the government. And they're um, either in the military. They are have been serving elsewhere. I always love when we talk to people and we're like, oh, where are you from? And they're like, oh, I'm from Hawaii. I immediately know they're in the military because no one in their right mind ever leaves Hawaii. You stay there and you don't come to, you know, the, the DMV from Hawaii. And, and so for, for us, it's been an incredible um, experience uh, as a family. We grew up, I grew up, my wife and I spent so much of our, of our married life um, in Central Florida. And so we were um, Disney people. We loved going to the theme parks. And, and Disney was a great convergence of the world kind of coming there. But they were coming there for fun and for entertainment. Where we live now, people are coming because they're, they're there for their careers. Mm-hmm. And so while our demographic is incredibly diverse, one thread that goes through all of it is how intentional people are um, with their careers. They are um, so driven. Um, one thing that we've experienced that has really been kind of hard for us to get our minds around is that couples will make decisions in their careers to spend one, two, three years apart so that they can continue to advance in their career, and then they may come back together at some point. Um, and so it's wild to think about that. Um, so when we talk about like the fabric of our, our families and things like that are deteriorating, we're actually seeing some of the cause of that, and it is because people are so driven um, in their careers. And some of it is noble. Um, they're serving our country. Um, but then when you look at it, it's like, man, where have you... What have you put first and what have you made a priority? And so um, for us to do ministry there is an incredible treat. Uh, If I'm honest with you, um, I wanted to be you guys. I really wanted to plant a church. I had it in my heart, had a a desire to do it, Um, asked the Lord if we could. Um, And right before the transition happened and we were um, asked to come and be at Metro Church, um, the Lord just really kind of whispered in my heart, what if you're not called to plant a church, what if you're called to help a church? Mm -hmm. Um, And so for me, we were a part of a a great church in Central Florida, um, Celebration Church. 
And we got a chance to see that church from day one. We were there at the kind of pre-meetings before launch. We were there on launch day. Mm. And so I, I never knew that I was watching a church being birthed. And I was learning kind of all of the tricks. And I was learning the language. And I was learning the culture. And I was learning all of this stuff. And, and then the Lord would give us an opportunity to come into a place. Um, and when we stepped in uh, our transition, we, we knew um, the play to run. Uh, because we had been a part of it. Um, we had seen it change our life. Um, and so a brief kind of snippet of our story, my wife and I, we walked through a, uh, an incredibly uh, difficult season. And thank, thank God um, for an art church that we got a chance to be a part of. We, mm-hmm. um, we had a late-term pregnancy and in fatality. And so we had mm-hmm. to do the, the thing where you bury a child. And we had to go through all of that, that heartache. And, and I just want to tell you this. I, had it not been for the church that we were part of, had it not been for Celebration Orlando, had it not been for that ARC family, mm-hmm. I promise you we would not be in Metro Church right now. We would not have gotten through that. And so when, when, I, when I hear about ARC churches, when I hear about ARC family, for me it's a very, very real thing. Because when you talk about um, people coming alongside you and you talk about them encouraging you and you talk about them being a friend in this, it's not just so that they can help you leverage resources to plan a church. The, the resource actually is the relationship. Um, that's the greatest thing that I think ARC has provided. It's the greatest thing that we want to continue um, to establish in our church. And so we had a church that came alongside us and helped bring healing to us. And so for us, we believe that we're kind of called to Metro D.C. area to do the same thing. In a place where the family value um, is diminished, we want to find, um, the, give the opportunity to show people, hey, this is what a family looks like. The family of God feels like this. And so... Um, it's a great, uh, great place to be. We love living there, uh, and we've gone through some interesting challenges. You and I were talking about this before, and so uh, if you're looking to get kind of a building, uh, I, I want to tell you kind of a little bit of our story. We've just decided to get rid of all our buildings because um, buildings are, you know, so yesterday. Who needs buildings for church? Um, I say that jokingly. These are some of the things we inherited. Some of the things we walked into were um, not long-term leases on some of the properties that they were um, using. Um, we had some real estate that was purchased and they were, they were bad, bad decisions and we've had to undo some of those things and the financial hardship that's come alongside of those. And so, um, our church, uh, right now, day one, when we stepped in, uh, it was right at 2000 people. Um, and so again, everybody hears that they're like, Oh, you had not a problem in the world. I'll take 300 people, um, anytime because, uh, the issues that we walked into while you have a lot of people, um, we actually ran into the problem of trying to find space. Um, our size scared a lot of schools off from wanting to allow us to meet it. They heard the number and they're like, there's no way you can meet there. And we're trying to, well, if it's three services or it's four services, it's not that many. And so we really were running into a place where um, May of 2019, we went portable with our, our largest campus. And that, that campus was our broadcast campus uh, because we're multi-site. Um, it was the place that had 88% of our attendance, about 88% of the revenue that was generated for the, the, the church. That went portable, and it went portable in a, um, in a season where we didn't have one specific location we could call home. So we were bouncing around, and so we would say things like this, you can come be part of Metro Church if you can find us. We're not sure where we're going to be, but follow us on Instagram, and we'll give you a map. And so it has been an, an interesting journey, uh, to say the least, but it is producing some um, grit in our team. Uh, it's producing some incredible opportunities to do ministry. Uh, I love hearing the stories of people that show up for our setup team um, because the, these are people who are, are at spots in their career. To be quite honest, they've worked really, really hard to not do stuff like this. Um, and when you hear stories about, man, you've got someone serving alongside um, you know, a military official who actually outranks them on Monday, uh, but on Sunday they're, they're working arm in arm. It, it's just a really cool um, story to see that kind of expressed. And so um, we're going through all those challenges. We're kind of doing it backwards. And so the joke is uh, kind of in our house, we really wanted to plant a church. You know, we told God that we really wanted to. And so now we're kind of getting a chance to. And so we're in portable environments. We're looking at things. And um, simply stated is this, uh, there are challenges planting churches. There are challenges when you kind of step in and you take over a church. The reality is this is they're just two different types of challenges. I don't think one is harder than the other. They're just different. Um, So you either get to deal with someone else's problems that they created or you get to deal with the problems that you created on your own. And so 
you just choose your, you know, pick your poison. But either way, you're going to have challenges. And so uh, we're doing our best. Uh, we're, we're loving uh, kind of every minute of it. We're so grateful for art. Grateful yes. to be a part of it. Awesome. All right. We'd love to answer any questions that you have. Um, if you have a question, just raise your hand, and, and we'll ask you just to speak really loudly. Um, if uh, no one has a question for you right now, uh, if you have one here in a, in a minute, we'd love to answer it then, too. I, I, I wanted to uh, touch on one thing to kind of ask each of you. Um, after the honeymoon period was over, so after you launched, after you almost had you know, 500 on a conservative day, 600 on an evangelistic day, um, after you transitioned in and it was 2,000 people and, and life was grand, mm-hmm. uh, when you uh, dipped afterwards and you felt like you were in the valley of the dip for a long time, mm-hmm. um, what was something within the art playbook, uh, one practice, one theme, one thing, one structure, one system, uh, one thing that you learned in, you know, in your journey that helped you, um, helped you stay strong um, in that moment? And we'll just go from Joel to talk to Charles. Sure. Um, one thing about getting a bunch of unchurched and dechurched people is that you, you get all their hurt that they've held in with for years. Mm. And uh, so we begin to unpack a lot of that. And, you know, we launched with almost 300 and I preached it all the way down to mm, about 170. And uh, um, and that's where we kind of planed off um, in, in about six or eight months. And then we started to grow from there. Uh, but we... Uh, I'll never forget, I was asking Pastor Lane uh, that exact question because we had some things that just didn't seem to be working. And um, uh, one thing, that, uh, two things I knew that we had to do, we had to stay consistent uh, with our message and consistent with our brand. And when I say our brand, I mean the art brand of excellence, of life-giving services. Because uh, I had, I grew up very strict, conservative, Pentecostal that the good services were when the preacher didn't preach and you sang those two songs for four hours and, and everybody, you know, got home, you know, real late. And so that was, that was a good service. And, and, um, and, and so, but we had to stay consistent with that. And so I was talking to Pastor Lane one day just about some of the woes. And he just said this so powerful phrase. He said, just run the play, keep running the play. And that's exactly what we did. And I felt like I was running the play over and over and over again for about a year. Uh, but looking back, we've seen it consistently. We would find those pockets where we would gain ground a little bit here and a little bit there and a little bit here. And so we didn't deviate from what has worked. Again, it's already, it's working everywhere. It's working in rural Kentucky. It's working in Orange County. <laughs> it's, the, the playbook is working. And so that's that's what we just had to do. We just had to hunker down. We had to run the play, stay consistent with what God was telling us to do. And then, because uh, we didn't think small groups were going to catch on. Well, maybe small groups since it wasn't for, uh, wasn't for Kentucky. Because uh, everybody that I talked to, why would we do a small group? We can throw a rock and hit the other side of our church. We don't need small groups. We're not big enough. And, and that was the whole mentality of our area. And when I say no other church in our city did small groups because... After you left church, you went and did your thing, and you didn't do life with anybody else. Uh, it was it was everybody outside the church that had fun and, and did stuff. And so and so that's when the free market playbook, you know, hey, as long as it's legal and biblical, and I'll even look away from some of the legal stuff. <laughs> if you'll just get together and do life together, but it was like when we put a schedule on it, it it, it somehow became inconvenient for people to do things they were already doing. And uh, but we just stay consistent. We ran the play, and man, let me tell you, um, our first small group season that we launched, we had twelve small groups, and I led seven. Wow! <laughs> I wasn't home every night. I mean, because we just led a small group, and I had to lead by example and do what I know that worked. And uh, and now almost eighty percent of our church is involved in a small group. That's amazing. And uh, and they'll tell you, man, this this is where I get this is where I get my life change happens because it happens in circles, not in rows. Yeah. And uh, and so we just ran the play because it does work. And when you're going through the dips, man, just run the play. Awesome. Talk. You'll hear this over and over again. Run the play. <laughs> just run the freaking playbook. And you have to contextualize a little bit here and there. And I mean. Arc is super open to feedback, to contextualize, but just run the play. I can't even pick one thing, to be honest, because I feel like as a leader, probably your three top-tier objectives is to bear pain. That's your job as a leader, to bear pain. To uh, kind of manage morale, Mm -hmm. right? To keep your finger on the pulse of morale, Uh, but then to transfer the burden. Mm -hmm. And 
So you don't just delegate tasks, you delegate the burden, help mm-hmm. them understand and feel the burden and carry that with you. With the morale piece, I'll tell you what, the fact that we could tell them, we look like prophets to our team because we were able to say, hey, we're going to launch about four times our launch team. Uh, we're going to dip to about you know, 40 to 50% of that the second week. And over the next month, we're going to bottom out and then we'll grow from there. And it happened exactly like that. What they told us is that's, that's what happens and you think you're the exception. Then you're not. And we weren't. And it's exactly like, so, so when that happened, the team wasn't like, oh my gosh, we're shrinking. They were like, oh my gosh, it's happening exactly like you said it was going to happen. So it actually built trust instead of diminished trust. What we saw over that first phase, and just, you're just going to experience it, you can't take it personally, is the first stage of the rocket comes off. And it, it's an enormous amount of uh, energy to get lift off. Mm-hmm. And then those people are there for a season. Mm-hmm. And now we're sitting here a year later, and I'd say a good 50, 60% of our launch team is no longer at the church. Most of them are still friends, but it's, they're not at the church anymore. And I, here's what I think it comes down to. If we all read the same book together, right, and then we all go watch the movie, yeah. there's a good chunk of theirs that are like, no, no, that's not what it's probably supposed to be. No, that character is supposed to have blonde hair. Mm-hmm. That character is supposed to, you know, that was... And it's just because the movie looked different than the book. Mm-hmm. And then what you'll see is a second wave of people. We were just talking to church planners yesterday. They're about the same time frame as us. You'll see the second wave of people come in. They don't know any better. It's like the people that didn't read the comics. They watch a Marvel movie. They're like, this is awesome. It's all they know, right? So they're just really excited about it. So now we're getting just a different level of person coming into the church and serving. But again, just follow, follow the playbook with marketing, with how you do your team. One of the things I would say too is while we were launching the church, like so pre-launch, we wanted to run a church. Mm-hmm. We didn't want to launch, we wanted to run a church. So we found ourselves like pastoring and small groups and missions trips and all this kind of stuff. And, and what we really need to be doing was raising funds and raising the launch team. Yes. <laughs> That's it, right? Because you will get to that stuff, but if you don't do the pre-launch stuff first right, yep. you won't have a church to walk them through small cur- curriculum because you won't have a church. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So they'll walk us walk you through, I know you want to do this, and you'll get there, but do this at this stage. I know it doesn't make any sense because you want a pastor. You will get to pastor. Every seven days, you'll get to do church again. Yep. But in this season, if you don't have money, if you don't have a launch team, if you don't yep. have a location or your bylaws, it doesn't matter. Yep. So even, if, even when it hurts, it doesn't make sense because you want a pastor, just follow the playbook. Yep. Awesome. Yeah, that's really good. Um, run the play. Um, <laughs> I think that's huge. The, the piece that you said about contextualization, it's one that we're, um, we're having to do kind of in our area because the, the small group, we, we understand how important that is in our area. But um, traffic and patterns of, of people's lives and things like that honestly keep people, once they leave work and they get home, there, there is no leaving. They're, they're yeah. there until the next day and then they've got to kind of brave the traffic again. And so we're just trying to find ways to kind of break into that. And so for us, it's, not an, it's never going to be an abandoning like a value or abandoning something that you know is tried and true across the country, but it's how do we contextualize this? How do we find a way? And so I think there's got to be a desire in your heart um, to tinker a little bit. You're always kind of trying to find, man, how do we make this better? We're not ever... Um, satisfied, so it's almost this relentless pursuit of of wanting to refine this in such a way um, that we could have something and then be able to pass it on to someone else. Um, the other thing I would say is is for for me, I'm I never want to be the smartest person in any room that I'm in, um, and so I love the wisdom that I can gather from different people who are doing this in different contexts. I uh, one of the first pastors that reached out to me when I moved into the area was Jimmy Rollins. Um, and you saw uh, Jimmy today was up there, seven on seven, and just an incredible friend, uh, somebody that, that checks in on me, um, and he's somebody that I can ask, because to be honest with you, I worked in higher education um, before I did this. I was at a university, I was a professor and worked in administration, um, and so I love going to a church, and I love being the guy that got to preach on the weekends every now and then, but the rest of this has been, it's been new to me, and it's hard. Um, they said it was easy, and it, <laughs> someone told me that pastors only worked one day a week, and so I thought it would be a great shot, and so, um, but that's not true. And so for me, being able to rely on other people, um, because it's one thing, and we all know this, it's one thing to have um, an idea philosophically. Um, it's another thing to put it into practice, and then it's another thing to actually assess it after you put it into practice 
and then revise it and then relaunch that again, mm-hmm. which that really is what church is about, is you have an idea, you give it a shot, assess it, and then you've got to relaunch it again based on what you learn. Um, and, and that's just stuff I've been stealing from people that I've been around for the last couple of years. So. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, we went on your time. We, we're going to go just a few minutes over. We'll be out here in about uh, five minutes or so uh, so you can make your way to the next round of app sessions. Um, how many in here have already launched their church? Anyone? A couple of y'all, okay. How many of you have a dream in your heart to launch a church one day in the future? Awesome. Amazing. Um, I know all your senior pastors. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> but I uh, just want to tell you, we'll stick around and answer as many questions uh, as we can. Uh, I know Ms. Pam is still here. I think Josh had to slip out, but myself, Ms. Pam. Josh is oh, is Josh still here? Yeah. Where's Josh at? He's down there sitting. He's on Instagram okay. in the back. Josh, myself, Isaiah, we'll answer as many questions uh, as we can for you. Uh, really quickly, just to tell you about the ARC process in general. Uh, it is a kind of a four-step process. Uh, we Ideally, you want about 9 to 12 months to go through the timeline. We can do it in a little bit less. We can take a little bit longer than that. But ideally, it's about 9 to 12 months out from launch. Um, we have kind of four phases to it. The discover phase is where you get to know us and we get to know you. Um, and we decide if we want to do life together. Um, and, and move forward in that process. We then kind of move into uh, the training phase, which is mostly based online initially, um, and then the coaching phase, which begins with a live event called our Launch Intensive, where you take what you've learned online and you meet your coach, incredible uh, couples like, like these three uh, here, uh, where they sit down with you and they go over everything you've learned online and they critique it and they, they give advice from their journeys and you know just really invest in you. And then they stay with you as that training continues both through phone calls and webinars and more online training um, as well, uh, and then which eventually uh, brings you to the last phase of it, which is the launch large phase, where if you choose to receive that financial investment, um, and then of course your actual launch date as well. And then our coaches stay stay with you really past launch. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're yes. developing kind of a six months kind of post-launch curriculum, but really what ends up happening is a relationship is formed and typically they remain a friend or mentor or spiritual, you know, covering, um, you know, hopefully for a lifetime yeah. um, as well. So that's kind of our, our uh, training process uh, in a nutshell. We have five launch intensives uh, a year. Uh, we just got the dates for our first, uh, for three of them, uh, and we'll have the, the next two uh, coming out here soon. Uh, we'll be uh, in Orlando in February. We'll be in Birmingham in March. Um, and then we'll uh, be back in Birmingham in the fall, and then we'll, we'll sprinkle in a, uh, we'll be in Carlsbad hopefully in August um, uh, here to do another launch training, uh, and then in the Northeast uh, maybe in May um, as well. So um, you can go to the ARC website, arcchurches.com. All you got to do is click, I want to start a church, and everything is on there uh, to follow. And again, we, we will stick around. These guys will stick around as long as they can to answer any questions. Our team will stick around to answer any questions that we have as well. And then we encourage you to enjoy the last round of app sessions and um, just appreciate you being here. So thank you very much. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you, Topper. Thank you, Joel, uh, for your time. Thank you. We can clap our hands for these guys. We hope you enjoyed this session from the ARC Conference. Our heart is that you are more encouraged and excited about your calling than ever before. For dates and locations, and to register for an upcoming art conference, visit artconference.com.